Hey, and welcome to episode four of the MTG Collection Builder podcast, a podcast about collecting Magic the Gathering cards. I'm Brian, the lead and only developer of MTGCollectionBuilder.com, and in this podcast, as always, we're going to be covering news relevant to Magic collectors, including new products and bannings. We're also going to talk about the card of the week and the topic of the week, which this week is the Power Nine, also known as the Holy Grail of collecting. If you haven't heard about it, you soon will. Also, if you haven't heard about MTGCollectionBuilder.com, it's a website where you can track your collection and its value for free. You can enter in all your cards, it shows you a progress bar for how much of a particular set you've collected, and it keeps you up to date on how much your collection is worth using TCG player prices. If you're interested in trying it out, it's 100% free to use, and you don't have to pay for any features at all. Just go to mtgcollectionbuilder.com. This podcast and the website are brought to you by Patreon, which is a way you can support content creators directly, and I just wanted to thank my patrons, as always, for their support. Like, it's really actually covering my server costs now, which is insane. Like, it's pretty cool. With increased support too, I'll be able to really beef up server infrastructure. I'm looking at co-location as an option. Some pretty cool stuff down the pipe. If you wanted to support either the podcast or the website on Patreon, feel free to head over to patreon.com slash mtgcollectionbuilder. There you can sign up for various tiers. They give you access to perks like ad removal for your account. We also have a monthly giveaway, and this month's giveaway is for Black Sun Zenith from Meriden Besiege. Specifically, this is a full art foil Black Sun Zenith that came from the Meriden Besiege game day on March 5th through 6th of 2011. It was only given out to the top eight players that showed up, so it's pretty rare. It's open to patrons who automatically enter, but it's also open to anyone. You can just head over to patreon.com slash mtgcollectionbuilder and leave a comment under the giveaway post, and you'll be eligible to win the prize as well. The drawing should happen April 1st. And without further ado, let's move on to the news. And we have quite a few items to catch up on, since it's been a little while since I've last spoken to you guys. On March 9th, there was a new banned and restricted announcement from Witches of the Coast. In Brawl, Golo's Tireless Pilgrim was banned. In Historic, Oko, Thief of Crowns, Once Upon a Time, and Veil of Summer were also banned. No surprise on Oko, he's banned basically everywhere now. And the following card was made legal again, Field of the Dead. And in Legacy, Underworld Breach was banned, it's a little too shenanigan there. And then in Modern, Once Upon a Time was also banned. Long story short, for collectors, we just care about how the, these bannings affect card prices mostly. Keep an eye out for price changes if you're interested in any of these cards. For example, Once Upon a Time went from $6 a copy to $2 a copy post-ban. Next, a new Secret Layer drop series came and went. This one is called Thalia Beyond the Hell Vault. It was released on March 12th for a 24-hour period during which you can place an order. It was $29.99, and it included four premium foil copies of Thalia Guardian of Thraben, each with a different art and flavor text. It also came with an MTG Arena code for the art styles and sleeves. And like all the other secret layers, it's come and gone. Maybe it'll come back again. Probably not. These tend to be pretty exclusive, but you could always buy it from a third party. Pretty cool for any Thalia players. Although she looks a little too pouty in the courtroom art, but maybe that's just me. And the next news item, which is kind of a bummer given the timing of this all, but Mystery Booster Retail Edition was released. Um, as you may recall, Mystery Booster was released at Grand Prix slash Magic Fest, where it was kind of like Chaos Draft in a box with... 1,694 unique cards and 121 playtest cards that would come out of there. And it was intended to be drafted. It looked like a lot of fun. I haven't had a chance to try it yet. The retail edition released recently, which is basically that. But instead of the 121 playtest cards, it's 121 foils from Magic History. There are no foils that haven't been done before, but it's still important to reprint a lot of these cards. Notables include Send Triplets, Amulet of Vigor, and Minima School at Water's Edge. I've actually had a few of my users tell me that they bought like cases of these and they've actually collected most of the 1700, 1800 cards, which is insane. 
But unfortunately, the timing of the set's release with COVID-19 kind of ramping up sucks. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. A lot of people I know haven't had a chance to play it yet. And I'm just waiting to play it. I can't wait to check it out. Wizards also announced an upcoming release of Signature Spellbook Chandra. They've done a Signature Spellbook previously for Jace. This one contains eight red cards, one of them in foil at random, just like the Jace one had. And they all contain Chandra in the outwork. And I think these are significantly cooler than the Jace spellbook, because the bottom of each card has a flame effect, like someone took a lighter to the card and the card is burning down. It looks really good. And two cards spoiled so far from the set are Chandra, Torch of Defiance, and Past in Flames. This was released June 26, and like the last signature spellbook, you can only buy it from your local game store, uh, assuming they're open by then. And for the next news item, Wizards is finally making fetch happen. On May 29th, they're releasing Secret Layer Ultimate Edition, which includes five Fetchland reprints, non-foil. They're Marsh Flats, Scalding Tarn, Verdant Catacombs, Arid Mesa, and Misty Rainforest. It'll come in this ridiculously sized large commemorative box. We don't know how much it's going to cost yet, but it's a little different than the other Secret Layers. This one, instead of being online just within a 24-hour period with unlimited print run, this is going to be only purchasable at your local game store, and they're probably only going to get allocated about 10 per store. So it's going to be very limited, which is a shame for a reprint like this. And this is the only way to get them in a set of five, but they are later on when they do future super drops, which are their multi-day sales like they had over Valentine's Day. If you buy all the bundles in that super drop, then you'll get a random fetch land. But otherwise, this will be the only way to get them all at once. Again, it's releasing on May 29th, only at the local game store. And my last news item, which is more of an aggregate news item of five separate developments lumped together, is unfortunately COVID-19 and Wizards' response to it. It's, it's really a shame for all of the local game stores out there. But basically, it started on March 11th, Wizards announced that all stores can sell their pre-release kits for Ikoria Layer Behemoths to be played at home. And they can even enroll players to play in at-home pre-release events as the virus started to get more into the news and became more worrisome in the United States, especially. And then on March 12th, they announced several event cancellations, including providing travel reimbursements to affected players. Alongside this, Channel Fireball canceled several of their planned Magic Fests, and they're instead conducting Magic Fest online, where you can actually play on MTG Arena for cash pricing, and you sign up paying cash and all that. There are no physical promos, it's not really relevant to collectors, but just good to know that you won't be able to attend a Magic Fest anytime soon. Later on March 20th, Wizards announced FNM at Home, which is a special Magic Arena sets of, of events where you can send a code to your local game store and they can get you unique sleeves for Magic Arena through a codes that they'll be provided. There's no physical products involved here, but it's still a nice idea, especially given that players can't really go to local game stores right now. Unfortunately, all of these events look like they're constructed, which leaves limited players like me out of the picture, but I can't complain. It's a nice gesture. And then on March 23rd, the hammer came down. All in-store play was suspended in North America, in the EU, and in Latin America as well, until at least May 10th. They're giving stone owners permission to use promo packs as sales incentives for the first time ever. Normally, they're only for in-store play, and it's only the naughty stores that sell them online or include them as part of online sales. Likewise, they're allowing buy-a-box promos to be shipped in online orders for the first time, where previously you had to buy them physically at your local game store. And then on March 26, they announced two additional items. The first one being that the Ikoria release schedule has changed. The pre-release will be on April 17th to Japan, Korea, China, Taiwan, and Hong Kong. But it'll be on May 15th for NA, EU, Latin America, and Australia, and New Zealand. 
It'll, however, be released on MTGO April 16th, along with Arena, so you'll be able to play it there right away. And the pre-release and release weekends, which are normally separate events, will be combined. It'll be interesting to see what this does to the promo situation, because they usually have different promos. Second item they announced is that they're doing a local game store relief effort, which is probably the coolest thing I've heard this year from Wizards of the Coast. They're reprinting a bunch of mystery booster boxes, and they're giving them to local game stores for free. Not a discount, but like 100% free. And they're also allowing LGSs to take up to $10 in tournament fees for MTG Arena tournaments, which is also unprecedented. I think this is a super cool gesture. I'm probably going to buy a mystery booster box for my local game store once they're open again just to support them, knowing that 100% of that money is going to go to their profits, which is pretty cool. And that's it for the news. It's really been a crazy couple of weeks. And now we're going to move on to the card of the week. The card of the week for this week is Contract from Below. Contract from Below is a sorcery that costs just a single black mana, and it reads, Remove Contract from Below from your deck before playing it if you're not playing for Ante. Discard your hand, Ante the top card of your library, then draw seven cards. So my first reaction to reading this card was, wow, seven cards for one black mana? That's insane. In black, too, with basically no downside other than, what's this Ante thing, right? Well, I'm glad you asked. Ante is an optional magic variant which uses a zone called the Ante Zone, and some cards can interact with this Ante Zone. Basically, if you're playing someone for Ante, you can think of it as playing for keeps. You both start the game and you take the top card of your library and you put it into the Ante Zone, and your opponent does the same. And whoever wins the game keeps both cards from the Ante Zone permanently. So it's kind of cool, but it wasn't very popular, and it actually could have caused Wizards some legal issues where the game could have been considered gambling legally in some jurisdictions with this with this rule set. And out of that, a penchant for 90s parents to be hysterical about games like Magic and D&D already, where you have demons killing angels, and you add the a little kid like losing his cards at school, and school started cracking down on it, and Wizards ultimately removed the format, banned it from DCI events. But it can still be played at unsanctioned games where it's not forbidden by literal law. And as a result, anti-cards are banned in every sanctioned format. But if you play this with your friends at home, it's, you know, no one's going to tell anyone. And it's drawing seven cards for one black mana. I'd be willing to give up a card for that effect. I don't think I'm actually going to lose the game where I get to draw seven cards for one mana, even though I'm anting two cards as a result instead of one. All in all, nine anti-cards were printed. And this particular card, Contract from Below, is $2 for a revised copy and $10 for an unlimited copy. So, pretty cheap. And that's the card of the week, Contract from Below. And now for the topic of the week, the Power Nine. If you don't know, the Power Nine refers to the nine most powerful, and in many cases, most expensive cards in all of Magic. The name originated, I believe, with vendors, uh, as they realized that they were the most expensive cards and they're retaining their value the most. But I could be wrong about that. I, I searched for some time for the etymology of the Power Nine, and that's the best I could find. They were printed in Alpha, Beta, and Unlimited, and the cards are Black Lotus, Time Walk, Ancestral Recall, the Moxen, which include five Mox cards, Mox Sapphire, Mox Jet, Mox Ruby, Mox Pearl, Mox Emerald, with Time Twister bringing up the ninth card. So let's briefly cover each card and talk about how and why they're so busted. The first card, Black Lotus, is zero mana for an artifact, and it reads, tap, sacrifice Black Lotus, add three mana of any one color to your mana pool. So the designers in the early days probably thought that 
three mana was fair given that you had to tap and sacrifice a card even though it didn't cost any mana and they didn't value mana ramp in combo decks as much as we do today but basically with cards like black lotus you could get a turn one kill on an enemy player with cards like channel and fireball if you haven't heard of the combo channel is two green mana for a sorcery this says until end of turn anytime you could activate a mana ability you can pay one life and if you do you can add one colorless mana to your mana pool so if you start the game at 20 life you can spend 19 life and get 19 colorless mana and you would combine this with a card like fireball where fireball is a sorcery that costs red and x where x is any amount of mana you want and fireball deals x damage divided evenly rounded down among any number of target creatures and or players fireball costs one more to cast for each target beyond the first so with black lotus maybe a couple moxen in there your first land for the turn you could channel a fireball your opponent for 20 life, turn one. If they don't have a counter spell or way to deal with it, you just won the game right out the gate. And this is just one example of probably dozens of broken things you can do with Black Lotus. Let's talk about Time Lock next. It's one in a blue for a sorcery that reads, take an extra turn after this one. Basically, wizards didn't realize how powerful extra turns could be in the game, especially given the power level of other cards that were available. The cost for only 2 mana is pretty cheap. You could be up like to 3 mana and have plenty of cards in your hands and options before your opponent ever took his first turn if you had 1 or 2 of these, or if you had a way to recur them. Way too powerful for the mana cost. Speaking of which, the next card, Ancestral Recall, is 1 blue mana, just a single blue, for an instant that reads target player draws 3 cards. Compare this to card draw spells today, like Divination, where you pay 2 and a blue to draw 2 cards, and it it's not even close, so this card is beyond busted, and it shows that early design and early players, we just didn't value card draw as much as we should have, likely because, oh, you're drawing a card every turn anyway. Here, you have to spend a card to draw three, so you're really only drawing two, right? It's, it's, it's really busted, especially in an environment with other busted cards. It just gives you way too much card advantage for too little cost, and instant speed, too. And then the Moxon, all five of them are the same, so I'm just going to describe them generically. Moxen cost a zero mana and their artifacts, and they read tap, add X to your mana pool, where X is either white, blue, black, red, or green. So they're basically what we call mana rocks, except they don't cost anything, and they just give you the mana, just like a land would. And unlike Black Lotus, you don't have to sacrifice them for the mana. So they give you really good mana acceleration at no cost, combined with other busted one turn kill cards in this format, and Fibbleth Forbid any kind of artifact synergies, these can just get out of control really fast. And for a time twister, that's two and a blue, so three mana total for a sorcery, and it reads, each player shuffles his or her hand and graveyard into his or her library, then draws seven cards, then put a time twister into its owner's graveyard. This might not look powerful on the surface, and it's one of those cards where you kind of have to play with it, really appreciate it. But basically, all those powerful black lotuses that you put back in your graveyard, you can shuffle them right back into your deck and you might get to draw them again. It can essentially let you go infinite. It's kind of immunity to mill effects, but it's, it's really just a way to draw your powerful cards again that are in your graveyard. And of course, if you time it right, drawing back up to seven cards can be card advantage for you as opposed to your opponent. And that should be a, a decent general overview of these cards and their power level. Let's go over their history. In 1993, there were no formats. There was no modern, there was no standard, there was just Magic the Gathering, the game. And there wasn't even a four of card limit rule in the game. We're used to it now, where when we construct a 60 card deck, 
we can only have four copies of a specific card in our deck other than basic lands. This was not the case back then. So you could totally build a 20 Black Lotus, 20 Channel, and 20 Fireball deck, and it probably wouldn't work out that poorly. Um, it would be very expensive today, of course. And in fact, if you want to play a similar format today, there's one called Alpha 40, where it's basically the rules back then. You don't have a four of limit, but the decks are restricted to 40 cards instead of 60. Not for the faint of heart, and you probably want to proxy everything in the deck, but I hear it's a pretty fun format. Now, the four of rule was created to prevent these kind of absurd one-turn kill decks, but as the game matured and people realized that the power nine especially were still super powerful, they came out with the first ban and restricted list where all the power nine cards were restricted to one copy at most. And today they can only be played in the vintage format and other formats are just banned. So if you want to play with the power nine, you have to play vintage and you can only have one copy of each card in your deck. Now let's talk about the power nines printings and how it relates to their value. The cards are printed, as I mentioned before, in Alpha, Beta, and Unlimited. Uh, those are the tournament legal printings, but they're actually also printed in Collector's Edition and International Edition, which are gold-bordered sets that are not tournament legal, but they still fetch a pretty high price, even though they're not tournament legal. In fact, the gold-bordered cards led to quite a few counterfeits where the gold hedge would be scraped off by really evil people, and they would try to sharpie them or whatever to make them look like real Black Lotuses and sell them and rip people off. It's really sad. And the alpha and the beta versions of these cards are the most desirable because of that black border. And checking eBay today, a perfectly graded Black Lotus from Alpha is on eBay right now for 349,000 American dollars, which is ridiculous. I mean, I mean, if you can afford it, sure. But you can get unlimited Black Lotuses graded in pretty decent condition starting at $8,000. Although you could get one in really rough condition for 5,000. These have gone up and up. In 2012, you could buy one of these Black Lotuses for $1,300, so I'm kind of kicking my past self for not buying one, but also realizing that as much as I love the game and collecting, money has value. Moxes go for between $5,000 and $9,000 for alphas, and then for about $2,000 to $3,000 for betas and unlimited. So as you can see, the alphas are much more desirable than the betas or the unlimited. It kind of goes alpha, beta, unlimited in that order in regards to price. Ancestral Recall is $14,000 for an alpha copy and about on the $2,000 range for both beta and unlimited. Time Walk runs the gamut between $2,500 and $6,500 and Time Twister is $2,500 to $9,000. So these are absurdly valuable and they have retained their value over time. Anyone that invested in these back in 2012 or earlier are probably really, really happy. But I, I would not by any means encourage you to invest in magic cards uh, to make a profit. Do it for fun if you like to do that, but prepare to get your face eaten off in a Black Swan event should the values ever plummet. Now, even though the Power Nine are really too powerful to play in modern formats, Wizards has done a pretty good job taking each card and making a new balanced take on it. Although at first, uh, there's, the record is a little spotty with that. Black Lotus, the first attempt to remake a fixed Black Lotus was Lion's Eye Diamond, which was similar, but required you to discard your hands for the same effect. It ended up being so powerful that it still ended up restricted in Vintage, which is kind of funny. Another card they made after Black Lotus was Lotus Petal, which is exactly the same effect, but only gives you one mana instead of three. Sure enough, it ended up being too powerful, and it's restricted in Vintage. You can only have one copy. My favorite Black Lotus knockoff is probably Gilded Lotus from Meriden. It looks like a Black Lotus covered in gold, and it costs five mana instead of zero. So it's five mana, and there's a battlefield. Then you can tap and get three color mana. It feels 
fair to me, the way it's priced. And it's a cool homage to the card, but I know it's nowhere near the power level, which is my personal favorite. Next, for the Moxen, they made Chrome Mox, which required exiling a card to produce a mana of that color. And Mox Diamond, which required discarding a land in order to produce a, a mana of that color. They also made Mox Opal, which required three artifacts in play for it to function at all. And the design led to the Diamond cards, which are like Moxes, but cost two mana, and they entered the battlefield tapped. My favorite of those is probably Mox Opal, but it only really works in an artifact deck. Ancestral Recall led a Brainstorm, which is a very similar effect. You draw three cards, but then you have to put two of them back from your hand on top in any order. It's still a very powerful card and sees a lot of play. Although my favorite homage to Ancestral Recall is probably Ancestral Vision, which is the same effect as Ancestral Recall, but with Suspend 4. So you have to wait four turns before you get the effect, but when you do, you kind of get, you feel like you did it, like you, you lived through the experience of resolving an Ancestral Recall, even though you had to wait for it. For Time Lock, which by the way is actually a verb in the Magic community now, like you can say, I time locked myself when you did something dumb and you cost yourself a turn. They made a couple variants of it, including Final Fortune, which is the same effect as Time Lock for two red mana, so red, red, except you lose the game at the end of that extra turn you get, which is insane, but very on, on flavor for red. They also made Time Warp, which is exactly the same effect as Time Lock, but it costs five mana instead of two. It's a three blue, blue. And they also create a time stretch, which gives you two extra turns, but it's eight blue blue, so 10 total mana. So if you're in some sort of insane infinite mana deck, it'd be kind of cool to do a time stretch. It's like a double time lock. But yeah, it's absurd, absurdly expensive. It's probably not good. And then for a time twister, they made a card called Time Spiral, which costs six mana to cast, but it untaps six lands, so it's kind of for free. So it makes you wait until later in the game for the effect but then it gives it to you for free in regards to the mana cost. They also created Diminishing Returns for a two blue-blue, but it removes 10 cards from your deck every time you cast it. So it's kind of kind of brutal on your library size, but it's probably good in some decks. And Time Reversal is exactly Time Twister for five mana instead of the original three. And it also has my favorite playmat art of all time. It's a, it's a wizard on like the top of his precipice, reversing time so far that he's seen the solar system's formation. It's super cool, it almost borders on cheesy, but I think it's awesome. And what's cool about these variants on the Power 9 is that if you're looking to build a cube and you can't afford the Power 9 and you don't really wanna proxy them or do a, a crappy print out of them at home, I feel like having the best alternative homage to the Power 9 can be quite effective in a cube. It's a little bit of a history lesson for the players as well. And in some circles early on, there were references to the Power 10 and while the power nine is a term that persists today, if there had to be a 10th card, uh, the 10th power card, it would probably be Library of Alexandria. It's a land called Library of Alexandria, and it reads, tap, draw a card, activate this ability only if you have exactly seven cards in your hand, or you can just tap to add one colorless mana to your mana pool. So you might be thinking, wait a minute, I can only draw a card from this land if I have exactly seven cards in my hand? What's that? That's lame, but, but hear me out. This is one of those cards you have to play with it to really feel its power level. So the typical play pattern is you would tap it on an opponent's turn, go up to eight cards, and then on your turn, you draw your card to go up to nine, and then you play two cards from your hand, probably spending most of your mana, which puts you back to seven, and then you rinse and repeat. So you're basically drawing an extra card on your opponent's turn at no cost, and you're still developing your board and getting an insane card advantage with a land, which is 
cheap to put into your deck because you don't have to take out a non-land for it. And it's really hard to interact with. They have to have like land removal or something that can shut down its ability. For this reason, it's restricted in vintage and it's $1,500, even though it's not one of the power nine. It's the honorary 10th power card, at least in my consideration. And this just about wraps up a very brief coverage of the power nine cards, but if you didn't know what they were, now you do. And just a word of the wise, be careful. Um, just the other week, someone got scammed by one of these cards on eBay. And if you're gonna buy any of these cards, I really recommend doing so in person from a reputable vendor, perhaps physically at a Magic Fest where they have their stand ready. And I'd bring along a jeweler's loop to inspect the card and make sure to only buy graded cards, although that's not foolproof either. And I would make myself an expert in everything I need to know to identify a genuine copy of that card. Ripoffs happen all the time, uh, both in terms of fakes being sold, but also PayPal-esque ripoffs where you don't get shipped the card and then they use the terms of service against you so you never get a refund on an order that wasn't fulfilled, that sort of thing. So please protect yourself. And these are super exciting cards and I think an important part of Magic Folklore. This even reaches beyond our little niche community where just the other day, there's an Antiques Roadshow clip with a full set of beta cards that got appraised, and my parents sent me a link to the video, and it's kind of cool. Or a video of a man opening a Black Lotus from a sealed product on YouTube went so viral that all my coworkers were talking about, it. So, oh, hey, you play Magic, have you seen this video? It's like, yeah, I saw it, it's pretty cool. And it's, I think, part of that folklore, that allure of, like, the super special, super powerful card. It's similar to the high we get when we open a booster pack or open a bomb rare in a draft. It's... It's a core part of the game, and I think uh, the secret sauce behind the trading card game, it's that excitement, that hope for a super powerful, super valuable card, and the thought of, oh, I have old cards in my garage, I wonder if they're valuable, I should go check them out, and enter them into mtgcollectionmoto.com, right? It's, it's a cool, exciting part of the game, and it just goes to show how much magic has to offer, not in terms of just gameplay and all the different game modes, but also the history and the lore and the excitement behind the actual cards themselves. They also represent the game maturing as both players and designers grew to better understand power level and balance, and I think these are a very lofty but very cool collection goal. I've seen pictures of all nine power nine cards on a beautiful frame display mounted with lights shining on them for each color of Moxon, and it's, it's a super cool goal, but yeah, you've got to save up for it for sure. But if you see it like an investment, it probably takes the sting out of it a little bit. I don't own any personally, I probably will someday. But for now, when I create a cube, I'm probably just going to put in the best next thing compared to them. And that'll about do it for this episode of the MTG Collection Builder Podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining me. If you have any suggestions, either for the podcast or the website, feel free to reach out to me, either via email at brian at mtgcb.com, Facebook, where I'm MTG Collection Builder, or Twitter, where I'm at mtg underscore cb. And if you want to support the site or the podcast directly, feel free to head on over to patreon.com slash mtgcollectionbuilder and check out all the pledge levels. You can get access to exclusive updates and polls, ad removals for your account. I send you a postcard at a high enough tier. You get put in the immortalized section of the website at the highest tier. Lots of good stuff. So feel free to check that out at patreon.com slash mtgcollectionbuilder. Again, thanks for joining me, and I'll see you guys next time. Okay, welcome to another secret section of the show. And it's been a real rough few weeks for a lot of the world. I'm really fortunate that I've been minimally affected by COVID-19 since I can work from home as a software engineer, but it really sucks for everyone that's impacted. And I think especially of all the friendly guys who work at the local game stores I go to in Southern California. These include the Realm Games and Comics, Shuffle and Cut, Dice House Games, and many others. And 
it really makes me think about and appreciate these businesses more, which are often passions of love. I know some of these stores have closed down because the business model wasn't like the most viable business model, but the people that owned it and worked there were just really passionate about creating good gaming communities. It wasn't about the money at all. It was about making people happy and creating cool events that they would want to attend. And there's something really touching about that, like these passions of love. And it's really bad timing for me too, because I was actually looking for a new home to do FNM draft since my last local game store had them stop firing. And it's actually, there aren't that many game stores that do FNM draft. Most of them will do constructed events, which is fine. But when you're a drafter, you really want to draft and get a chance at those FNM promos. I've started buying gift cards online for local game stores that do offer them right now while they're, they have to be closed due to the virus. And um, I'm going to be sure to double my efforts to support them financially once our nation turns a corner. I'll probably start buying some more sealed product when I, when I normally wouldn't. I, I tend to buy one booster box per set and have drafts at home. I, I, may, I may up the ante on that one. Though if they're selling a $30 board game for $100, I'm, I, can't, I can't go that far. It's, I, I definitely don't blame anyone for making purchases online financially. But where you can, I think it is important to support your local game store, especially if you play there. And uh, just to show how crazy the COVID-19 pandemic is, I actually even sanitized this monthly's giveaway top loader and sleeve, just in case. So I, I had these little rubbing alcohol pads. So whoever's the winner for this monthly giveaway, it's 100% sanitized, I promise. So stay safe out there, and uh, I'll see you on the other side. Hopefully our hobby isn't impacted too much, but more importantly, you know, Take good care of yourself and your family, but just be responsible and safe. And if you haven't tried Magic Arena, it is a great way to play Magic Online for free. It doesn't yet have pod drafting, which I'm really looking forward to, but it's it's the next best thing. It's pretty good.